Welcome to the Higher Potential Living Podcast, where we discuss improving quality of life by exploring mind, body, and spirit through a mindful lens. Here's your host, Jason Marichello. Hello, and thank you for tuning in. On this episode of Higher Potential Living, we are joined by Dennis Stever. Dennis is a Canadian entrepreneur, photographer, artist, and so much more, based out of Nova Scotia and Dubai. Dennis has traveled all around the world with his different life ventures, which gives him a perfect skill set for the travel company he co-founded almost five years ago. This company, of course, since then has helped to further expose Dennis to different cultures and traditions from all around the world. In this episode, we talk about how the experience of travel, living and spending time with different peoples can really be such a powerful tool to understanding how different people live their lives. And it can help us appreciate what we also have at our own doorstep, taking those moments, taking more of those pauses in our day to look around and really just appreciate what we have. I hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Hello, and thanks for joining once again, everybody, on this episode of Higher Potential Living. I am joined by Mr. Dennis Stever. Uh, Dennis and I have worked together in a number of capacities over the years. I think we've only been in the same room together maybe a couple times, uh, but definitely over the pandemic, um, you know, a lot of the virtual work that we've been doing, being in different parts of Canada and all this, but one of the things that have really drawn me to wanting to have this episode with you is following your Instagram, following some of your your travels. Uh, I definitely have the travel bug. I haven't really gone anywhere like most of us in a while, but um, sometimes I just sit and look through some of your old photos and just reminisce about how beautiful this planet is. But um, before we give away too much of what this episode is going to be all about, I thought maybe we can start off just um, kind of have you introduce yourself maybe a little bit about what got you into the travel work that you've done, maybe some of the photography work, and maybe where that appreciation for this planet um, seeded from? Yeah, thanks, Jason. Um, it's definitely an honor to be here. I've been following along with your podcast and, and uh, you know, learning a lot. There's a lot of insightful um, stories to be heard, and, and uh, I'm definitely grateful to be a part of it. Um, to, uh, to touch on the, the travel side of my life, I, uh, my love for travel kind of started with my love for sport. So I, I grew up as a, an amateur athlete and I competed in the, the uh, sport of canoe kayak. And that brought me um, uh, across Canada in national competition and then, and then later in my career onto um, international competition. And that's where I got a bit of the taste for seeing other places, uh, learning about other cultures and, and uh, you know, opening my horizons a little bit. And I think it's interesting because I remember when I, um, me and my wife ended up doing our like big trip out of Canada, it's not really a big North American thing. Like there's a lot of tourism that maybe comes from North America. People want to go on destination vacations and stuff. But when you travel and you speak to people from Europe, um, I remember it being a big thing for like, uh, we always ran into Germans. And I remember someone telling me that, like, if you don't have some travel, even on your resume, that people won't look at you as seriously, because they feel like there is some definite growth that comes up when you're putting yourself in maybe new surroundings, maybe it's just opening your eyes to ways other people live, but that in other countries, that's actually something that's valued as a as a contributor to your your job is actually pretty impressive but um you know looking at it from our side of things it's just something that we just don't do much of and canada is a beautiful place which may be you know part of that but uh, i'm wondering you know as you went around because i know that you spent quite a bit of time in um, dubai as well you actually lived there for a number of years which is one of the destinations i actually haven't been to yet but from some of the more developed countries versus some of the ones that maybe a little bit uh, less developed, what did you kind of witness in the early days with some of that contrast? What started like churning the wheels in your mind? 
Yeah. Oh, I think first off, Canada is is an interesting place geographically because we are, you know, North America in general is is kind of isolated from the rest of the world. So um, a lot of people based in North America tend to travel locally or nationally, um, but it's a little bit less common to travel internationally. Um, whereas if you're from a place like um, any of the European countries or the Middle East where I had lived for a little bit, um, there's the ability to travel internationally. You know, things are closer. It's not like traveling from Halifax or Nova Scotia to Ontario, where it could be a 20 hour drive and take you um, a couple of days to do. Uh, in, in Europe, you know, it's much easier to travel and see many different cultures in a, in a shorter space. Um, so yeah, it, it, traveling to and living in the Middle East is was definitely a learning experience. Um, I was fortunate enough in, in 2011 to go there. My, my canoeing career um, brought me to Dubai to coach um, canoeing in, in the Middle East. And, you know, that was my first uh, eye-opening experience to embracing and living in another culture. Um, and I think that that experience is, is certainly valued. As you were saying, um, in, in other countries, they, you, there's credentials that come with, with traveling and seeing the world. Um, these, this is why things like gap years are, are so popular. Um, you know, that, that time of development after high school where you, you, you get to become a young adult and, and choose your path in life. I think it's important to take that time to really see some of the things that are offered. I know you, you spent quite a bit of time, uh, you did a, a trip around the world and that, that the challenges that come with doing something like that is really valuable to a person. Well, I think, you know, one of the, the things when I reflect was um, critical thinking, having to figure your way out of situations. And, you know, the internet, when, when we started traveling and stuff like that, there was a lot of things that just weren't to where they are now, not a lot of these apps and all of this kind of stuff too on smart devices. So, you know, we, my wife and I, we did some woofing around the world and we had a big thick book that we had to carry with us with people's um, addresses in it, descriptions and all this kind of stuff. And to have like hard copy and, and realize that this might be out of date. And so you show up somewhere and like, okay, well, they're not here. So I guess we need to find somewhere to pitch a tent and like having to adjust and adapt on the fly. You know, this isn't even getting into like exploring and, and realizing different cultures. This is just like when you put yourself outside of your comfort zone in, in mindfulness, we reference so often um, how great of a tool automatic pilot can be, but also how it takes us out of being in the moment. But when you're constantly on new turf in new territory, you are so mindful so much of the time because you need to be, because you don't have an automatic pilot when you're driving on the other side of the road. You don't have an automatic pilot when you're, <laughs> I don't know, in a, a culture where you're trying to find food, but everyone's speaking a different language. You need to learn to adapt. And I think that's so valuable. And from the cultural side of things too, recognizing that maybe the way that you've done things is a way that works in where you come from, but there's other ways to live life. I remember being uh, in India and really understanding the way that um, the way that we have such differences. And one of the big things was that uh, there's a lot of difference in the way that we communicate between men and women. So I remember my wife was taking her yoga teacher training and for the first few days, her guru, her, the person who was going to be her teacher, didn't even feel comfortable speaking to her. And he, Lauren, uh, my wife, was the first white woman that he had ever taught as well. So he felt a little bit um, unsure about that. So he'd be talking to her, but looking directly at me and making eye contact with me and just thinking like, man, what a difference in some of these guys. Like in North America, he probably would have been flirting with her or something like that. And then also witnessing like two straight men holding hands, walking down the street and having that not have any sort of connotation or anything to it. So just walking beside my, my wife's guru when he started to feel comfortable with me and then reaching out to grab my hand and just thinking like, okay, 
this is different, but let's let's roll with this and see what comes from it. And what comes from that is not just learning and embracing different culture, but you know, a new form of intimacy, of friendship, and all of this. So, what were some of the first things that started like really standing out for you? Um, just being in different parts of the world, was it like landscape? Was it people? Was it what? What jumped out for you? It's yeah, it's certainly a, a great question. It's you know, there's levels to where you travel to and, and and the different amount of cultural adjustment you need um you know whether it's locally you know if you're traveling um in north america and you know our even in our countries like if we look at uh, the us for example it's very clear that if you go to new york there's a certain type of uh, stereotypical uh, type of person and then if you're in the south um there's a different type of person so so i think that you know, people vary quite quite a lot, even on a local level. Um, but when you start traveling to some of these, um, you know, international destinations like India, um, there's definitely things that you pick up quite quickly that are are different. For example, in in the Middle East, um, when I first moved there, um, one of the ways that you can greet uh, a, a person in in the UAE is by rubbing noses. So men will typically come face to face and they'll uh, rub noses. And this isn't something you see all the time, but, but um, you know, it's the comfort and intimacy that some of the other cultures have that, um, you know, we're quite protected and jaded in Canada. Um, you know, I find it sometimes, I have a twin brother and, and I find it sometimes weird to, to like I would never hold his hand really or you know it's it's when we hug each other there's an embrace that's um you know can be uh uncomfortable but then you have these other cultures where they're rubbing noses and uh or holding hands walking down the street um India is definitely a fascinating place I haven't spent a lot of time um there but I did a a you know, brief stint in Delhi and then traveled up to Rishikesh in the north, um, and my brother also had spent uh, a couple months there doing um, a yoga teacher training. So familiar with the area, the the culture there has always been warm. I feel like when you you know, there's some places that you go where people will absolutely go to their way to to do anything for you, and there's this this um, comfort. And I I think when people think about traveling, they the culture shock might be something that they're uncertain of, uh, uncertain about, or that they get nervous about. But anywhere I've been, I feel like people are genuinely more than happy to help you. And if you look lost, you know anyone that's a local, like ninety nine percent of the time, it's likely that people are going to guide you. And that's really given me a lot of faith in humanity and and you know, like if you, if you spend a lot of time looking at the news, you see a highlight reel of all the worst things about the world. And I think that when you take time to travel and, and visit other places and talk to people from other places, you learn a lot about the culture, you learn a lot about people, and you see all the good things in, in people. Mm -hmm. I remember um, at one point in time, we spent a few months in Thailand and during the time that we were there, there was a bit of a, a political, uh, we'll call it a little bit of an uprising happening at the time. And my wife and I, we were right in uh, Bangkok, Khaosan Road, for those that know the area. And there was a bit of a divide going on between the, the royal family, the police, the military, the upper class, the lower class. And we had no idea this was even happening when we were there at first. And all of a sudden we started getting all these phone calls, all these text messages, emails from our family saying like, are you guys okay? Is everything fine? And earlier that day we had been walking around the street and we saw that there was a big crowd of people and we're like, oh, maybe it's a parade. We have no idea what's happening. So we, we walk our way into it and there's someone up on a stage and they're speaking in a language we don't understand and they're yelling and everyone's cheering. And so we're just getting into the vibe of the whole thing. And like, we're cheering along too. no idea what we're cheering for. And then some of the locals were just like, oh, maybe it's time that you, you know, you go back to your room and like so sweet, so nice, so kind. And then we go back to our room. This is where we find out we have all these messages and everything. And 
we turned on the news and the news made this whole situation to be so extreme like they showed one person down on the ground with like a, a bloody knee and all this kind of stuff which i'm pretty sure i've just seen them trip over a curb it had nothing to do with any you know like political anyone pushing anything like that and we're looking out the window seeing the exact same thing that the news was covering and it was incredible to see how different that picture was painted and i think that um, is a bit of the problem kind of like you touched on when we're basing our view of these different cultures we're basing our view of the world strictly through the eye of the media now i was planning on saving this until we got further in but i feel like it's something we should touch on now but i remember talking to you about um, one of the ideas that you got while you were um, in in africa with your camera because we haven't really got into your photography either but with this idea of you know so many people come in and they take photos of what they think represents the culture and how you wanted to try to empower some of the youth in some of the communities you were in to actually learn teach them how to take photos how uh, everything they need to know about photography and get them to actually show what their culture what their world likes looks like through their eyes so again i'm, I'm like totally fast forwarding here but uh, right do you want to speak into that a little bit a hundred percent um first of all traveling to rwanda um recently quite a bit has has certainly been an eye-opening experience i had been in and out of a few african countries in the past but um rwanda is the first place where i've had a chance to kind of immerse myself in the culture um through my travel business we've we've been um running group trips uh, to the country um but that has allowed me to go um you know, multiple times and and really build connections with people in the community and learn more about um, Rwanda. And uh, one of the, you know, best parts about embracing the culture and, and working in Rwanda is, is being, is the element of giving back to the communities. So, um, you know, we've been working with local schools and an orphanage um, and then partners on the ground to provide clean drinking water to students. Um, every time we bring guests to the country, we encourage them to uh, donate goods to the students. And we've put a real focus on, on providing for them and helping them. And that's not to say the country is doing a, a poor job because Rwanda is, is you know, the ninth safest country in the world. Um, it's uh, you, the infrastructure and the government really care about their people um, and they are doing a fantastic job. Um, so one of the, the projects alongside of providing drinking water and uh, donations and things like that was we wanted to look at the creativity and kind of the art side of a, a child's upbringing. Um, and being a photographer, one of the ways that we wanted to connect is by putting cameras in the hands of the students and giving them a median to tell their story. Um, so the first uh, project that we've done is working with um, our partners on the ground. We visited a local school and we brought um, those Polaroid disposable cameras or the, the uh, like Instapix cameras. And we gave those out to students. We had over 70 students take part in it. And we put the camera in the hands of the students and and gave them film and allowed them to capture things through their eyes. And the project was called ICU. And the focus on that was telling the students or showing the students that we see them and we hear them and giving them the camera to express themselves. Uh, and that was an extremely rewarding um, project. I think, you know, from the start of doing it, giving the kids the cameras. Uh, letting them take the pictures, seeing the photos develop in front of their eyes. Um, a lot of them, you know, aren't familiar with technology. They live in a rural community. So I think that a lot of them thought like, this is magic. This is, this is absolutely incredible, like freezing a moment in time. Um, and it did take some time for them to warm up and kind of understand um, how to do it. But there's this intimacy in the photos that they take. Um, and it's giving us as a viewer, when we see the photo, a, a perspective from the student to see it from their eyes. Um, 
So I think over time, along with providing necessities like water, clothing, um, education supplies, I think that building some of these um, arts into, into some of these programs uh, is really valuable because it lets them tell their own story as well. It, like opens up a two-way communication um, between the students in a creative way. Yeah, for sure. You're giving a whole other means of expression uh, to, to this, this body of people, which is amazing. I love the idea of the, the we see you because kind of what we were talking about before when you said like, you know, I think that when you really get down to it, you recognize that just people are, are good people, no matter where in the world you are. And more often than not, people will even go out of their way to, to help somebody else out in need. And I think one of the big things that it takes for us to, to reach that point is recognizing that people come from different cultures, that whole thing of rubbing noses and everything. If you come to, you know, again, we, we use the example of Canada being such a diverse country, but even though we are diverse in who's come here, we're not necessarily always so diverse in how accepting we are of the cultures that they bring into Canada. So you'd get someone, and I've had this experience where you have someone who's uh, from the Middle East and you think like this person is a close talker or they like, you know, they're coming up to you and you're doing that first embrace and they grab the back of your neck and they're maybe not you know, rubbing noses with you, but they're holding your face inches away from their face. And, you know, it's, things have often been different now with the, the pandemic going on, but this is going back even years um, and thinking like, what is happening here? But if you can step out of your own programming and just like, okay, well, in maybe in their country, maybe space isn't as, as, as much of a privilege. Maybe, you know, the idea of uh, it's really loud when there's a lot of people around and there's horns honking everywhere. So maybe it started by just like, let's get close so we can hear each other. Or, you know, there's often lots of complaints of, oh man, this person was in my bubble the whole time. Canada is an extremely spaced out country and yeah you go to you go to India you go to other parts of the world where there's nowhere near that much space and you may find that you're having some issues uh, trying to maintain that bubble so you have to get pretty over that bubble pretty quickly um, during that process one of the things that I really remember from um, our times with the travel was when that didn't happen and I'm sure that you've come across lots of situations like this where you see people who are going to a different country, but basically wanting to maintain everything that they took with them from their other country. I remember um, having and, you know, I don't know where they came from, but I remember having uh, this 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 situation involved in front of me where someone from North America could be Canada, could be the US ended up taking a cab, I think this is when we were in Indonesia, and the cab driver didn't necessarily speak good English. And to see how angry this person was at the cab driver, because they didn't speak proper English, or they didn't speak English that well. Meanwhile, this person's coming into their country and getting angry because they don't speak English, rather than thinking of how can I better, you know, understand your language? How can I better understand? And I think that's where if you really want to get you know, that connection with people helping you out and pointing the right direction. I think you just need to sometimes show a bit of a, an effort into understanding a culture that you have a willingness to learn that you yourself have that compassion as well. Totally. One of the, um, one of the first times I traveled internationally was as part of my, um, canoeing team representing Canada. And, um, we were made up of a diverse group of people from all across Canada. Of course, there was some uh, French speaking people and, and some English speaking. And when we traveled abroad, I, I can remember this so clearly. One of, uh, one of my best friends on the team was, was French from Quebec. And he said, we were in Czech Republic and, and I was trying to communicate with people in English. And he was like, you English people are so silly. Like, and I was like, well, I don't, I don't get it. And he's like, not everyone, like not everyone should adapt to you. When you go somewhere, you should make an effort to adapt to them and, and, you know, embrace yourself. And I will never forget that from a young age. I, you know, ever since 
I heard that I would travel places and try and learn, you know, the important words like hello, thank you. Um, you know, pick up a little bit of the language so that you can actually, you know, show that you're trying to be appreciative and and uh, embracing the culture. Um, I I think touching back to a little bit earlier in the conversation. Uh, one of the other things that's important when you're when you're experiencing other places is is to just be open-minded. Uh, I went on a trip to Sri Lanka with uh, with a friend once, and we decided at the start of the trip that we would say yes to everything. We would try and, and embrace whatever was thrown in our in in front of us. Um, and we were on a surfing trip, and and we had a local tuk tuk driver that would take us to different places around for for surfing and um we became very close over the trip and and towards the end of it he said why don't you guys come and have dinner with my family and we knew that he didn't have have a lot and that this was you know something he was going to put a big effort into to try and and welcome us to the island so we said yes and and we went to his place for dinner that evening and uh, when we got there, it was a small mud house. They, you know, they had very little, um, and and you could tell that they had kind of put everything into putting on an evening for us. And and um, we went in, and they had dinner laid out on this table that was made out of like scrap driftwood, and um, under like older newspaper that was kind of weathered. They pulled the newspaper off and revealed the dinner, and we kind of looked at each other and just had realized that, you know, there is, there's this compassion and love that they are trying to provide to us. And we just tried to embrace it. And, uh, and it was one of the best meals. The, the food was actually brilliant, but the hospitality and the way that they, you know, appreciated us saying yes and coming and, and kind of taking a risk to, to go and, and spend some time with them. It was this really intimate experience, and you know, our our tuk tuk driver he brought like his family, his his parents had come down from their place, um, they had cousins there, and it was this big get together and feast, and it was one of the greatest moments that um, you know traveling has provided for me. Yeah, I I was getting all like the feels when you were telling that story. I I remember one of the. Um one of the most powerful moments that we had uh, with my wife and I, when we were traveling, we spent some time um, trekking through Nepal and some of the places, some of the villages that we uh, reached had no roads going to them. It took, you know, a day or two, depending on how fit you were just to get to the village from like the nearest road where the, you could get a, a bus or something to drop you off and then start trekking up. So the same thing, they didn't have a whole lot. And these were probably some of, you know, I guess if we had to look at it monetarily, some of the poorest people I had ever seen. And it was so cute. I remember we were staying in this tea house with this family and they had made a menu um, for what would be for dinner because they were, you know, trying to adopt this, you know, what they thought uh, these white people would, would want to see. So they made a menu and it was on some scrap paper and there were two items on it. It was morning glory and I can't remember what the other thing was but there was just these two options on this menu and so my wife and I were trying to be as respectful as possible I said oh th you know thank you so much um yeah okay I guess we'll take we'll take this we'll take the morning glory and they just like looked at each other with this like look of panic and then they brought in the daughter who spoke a little bit of English and she explained like she had to apologize the morning glory crop hadn't actually come up well that year and they didn't have you know, any, and yet it was one of the options on the menu. So like, oh no, that's fine. That's fine. We'll, we'll go with whatever the other thing was, which I think was like steamed rice with some, with some uh, other collard greens or something. And I was like, no, 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 you know what? Just, can you wait five minutes? And we're like, whatever, whatever you need, whatever you need. And they went to like the next peak of the mountain where I guess it got a little bit better sun or something and their morning glory grew well. And they ended up talking to them saying that they had these visitors and now these other people are contributing to this meal that we were having. They got their morning glory. They came down, they cooked the whole thing. And then we ended up getting this meal. And now we feel, we feel awful. We would have eaten anything, but again, there's like the, something that they were also getting out of being able to provide this and like, you know, bringing the neighbors in now with the morning glory and we're all having this feast. And it was like you say, it was a simple meal, 
but everything that went into it also just so greatly contributed to like the the taste the flavors the the nurturing the nourishment that goes beyond just the vitamins that were in uh, in that food and i think it's just it's so powerful and one of the biggest takeaways also from that village sun coming up in the morning beautiful sunrise hitting on the himalayan mountains and my wife and i of course were there almost in tears watching this beautiful sight and yet at the same time these people who grew up probably saw the same sunrise every morning were also right there with us they were still standing there watching it come up and appreciating it with just about as much appreciation as my wife and i and you know made me reflect on how much beauty we walk past on a daily basis again canada is an amazing place um but even if you're not in canada just in your own life think about how many things that you see that the first time you saw it or things that you taste and the first time you taste it or things that you've listened to you thought this is incredible this is the most amazing thing ever but we get so complacent we take things for granted and there's this you know this this ongoing this ongoing like it's not good enough or it's perfect and now i need something more and now i need something more and i need something more and i think sometimes that's what travel can allow you to shake yourself out of when you see something so new so different when you smell different air and all of this kind of stuff and yeah i think that was kind of the inspiration for this podcast really when i thought about reaching out to you was you know to touch on that idea that there's beauty all around us travel's fantastic because it can shake us out of our 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 automatic pilot but beauty's all around us and every different form of living is beautiful in and of itself and not to push our agenda on other people and their their ideas totally when one of the catalysts as as well for my my travel was you know i was a photographer i wanted to uh, get out i specialized or focused on landscape photography it was about seeing beautiful places and certainly for the the first few years when i was traveling to other countries to take photos it was almost like i had a list of shots ready you know go to this beautiful place, take this photo, go here, um, see this thing, and then move on to the next one. And you know, after a while, I kind of realized like racing to these different beautiful places to take photos, you really miss out on the, the beauty of visiting a country and experiencing it. Um, so I kind of changed my, my mentality a little bit after that initial rush and started focusing on um, the culture, the intimacy. One of my favorite shots that I had ever taken was um, I was standing in an alleyway um, in Sri Lanka again, and, and I was walking up from the beach from sunset. I had taken the photos that I wanted, and I walked past um, an older sister and a, and a younger sister, and they were uh, walking down back to the beach. And I turned around, and I just, as they walked towards the beach, I turned my camera and, and snapped a photo of them. And the way that the, the photo, you know, I, I, I didn't think much of it. And I went back and, and later on looked at the photos from the day. And the older sister was walking, holding hands with her younger sister. And the younger sister was like turned facing her, look at, uh, looking up at her. And her leg was kind of like kicked up. And she was like, it looked like there was so much love for one another and it's this moment that made me think like you know i rushed down to the beach to capture the sunset and thought that that was the beauty of the moment and the local people who were heading down also to you know watch the sunset but shifting my focus away from you know, the the thing that everyone kind of sees and then the beauty of the moment um is is really kind of a metaphor for what travel is so you could race around and, and try and take in all the, the sites and go to the beautiful places, but the beauty is really in the intimacy of these moments and, and feeling uncomfortable and, you know, going through the challenges of, of you know, leaving uh, your home and, and heading out and, and being embracive of, uh, embracing the, uh, the experiences that are out there. When you're, you're touching on something too about you know like taking yourself a little outside your comfort zone 
um, mm. like this because there's a lot of travel that happens where you leave somewhere like North America or Dubai and then you go to a resort that's going to have food that you're used to eating from the country that you're used to coming from or you know hearing music people speaking the language that you're used to it basically feels like you're taking a slice of North America and you're putting it somewhere else and you're just experiencing North America with maybe slightly different temperatures um, versus like you're saying walking down one of those alleys seeing the interplay between uh, sisters between people individuals go to a bazaar look at just witness the way that um, the bartering works and and the interplay there and the sophistication behind the whole thing is really making us these global global citizens and um, the last before the pandemic uh, the last few years prior to that um, my wife and I have been taking groups to Costa Rica for some international yoga retreats and it was really interesting when we went to try to find where we wanted to host our retreats because we wanted to give people when we would bring them to Costa Rica, we wanted to give them the feeling of Costa Rica. And yet this country, it's it's really interesting the way the dynamic is over there because um, it's almost like there's this big divide. If you go to the grocery store, the price of food is almost the same that you'd find here, if not exp more expensive for certain things. If you go to try to find accommodations, again, it's like the prices that you would pay here, which was so different than if you go to like Thailand or something like that, you could feed yourself off of like, you know, 50 cents or something. Um, but you go down there and it was very different. And yet the local people were still like the wages that they were getting were such that there's no way they could afford going to the grocery store. There's no way that they could afford, you know, going and staying in those accommodations that we were staying in. And I ended up speaking to some of the, the Ticos, some of the locals and, um, having them explain this whole thing of like, you know, we didn't know that we were poor until white people told us that we were poor. And there's this, you know, dynamic of, of people with some extra wealth going into some of these countries and setting up these giant mansions because labor is so cheap. So they think it's such a great thing to just throw all this money at uh, these groups of people and they'll build this elaborate place. And then those people that built that house are going back to their tiny homes that are made out of, you know, driftwood, corrugated steel, like this kind of stuff and they have to live off the land they can't afford the stuff in the grocery store so they're having to grow their food or their cousin has a, a banana plantation or um you know some other fruit or something so they're just bartering back and forth and it really working in that country and especially because it was working in that country now this is the first time that i've been like hiring drivers and stuff like that really opened my eyes to like how can we start to really not just have them work for us, but really work with them. So we got in touch with um, some different organizations that are helping to provide jobs for people through tree planting, through reforesting. And um, it just opened my eyes to a whole different way of visiting places and, and seeing the world. And I think it's worth noting that the travel company that you have, which is the TJD, which I, I want to get into a little bit about how that formed, um, but it specializes in luxury luxury retreats travel what would you call it yeah so um tjd is is was formed by uh, my partner michelle and and i um and we were predominantly based in dubai um but then uh, i'm in between canada as well and we specialize in the in the nordic destinations so you know scandinavian countries are are some of the highest rated financially in the world and, and, and happiness and things like that. So uh, you, we didn't experience a lot of challenges like you experienced in, in Costa Rica. Um, however, during the pandemic, we shifted and, and added Rwanda to one of our destinations as a luxury travel destination. And, you know, Rwanda's history is, is, um, some would say troubled, I guess, you know, a lot of people recognize Rwanda as a place um, where the genocide occurred in 1994 and over a million people lost their lives in internal conflict. Um, and to see how far that country's come today, but also still how far some of the rural communities need to come is, um, you know, there's always challenge. And when you look at the disparity when you go to Costa Rica and you go to the grocery store, 
and the tourists drive inflation, which makes it, you know, challenging to live in that country as a local. How do you um, prevent that from happening in some of these other places, or how do you reverse that? And you know, I don't have the the answer to that myself, but I think that I've always been a person that says or or feels like you should do good wherever you go. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, for example, in Rwanda, we work with local power uh, partners on the ground, and we empower the people there to. Um, you know, support their businesses and and lift them up as well. So I think that, um, you know, there's a number of of challenges that come when you as a a tourist visit a place for a temporary amount of time and what the lasting impact is in that destination. Mm -hmm. Uh, Rwanda, for example, they have the endangered mountain gorillas, which is the you know, main tourist draw for the region. And one of the reasons we chose Rwanda as a destination, as opposed to um, some of the neighboring countries like Uganda um, or Congo, is Rwanda has taken a sustainable approach to tourism. So they know that they have 600 endangered mountain gorillas, and that is a tourism draw for their country. so what they've done to prevent over-tourism is they've made the price of permits um, to visit the mountain gorillas quite expensive. Um, but a large portion of those permits go directly back into the community. So if you want to go as a guest to trek and see the mountain gorillas, um, it's $1,500 as a permit. Uh, And part of that money goes back into the community. So they support over 400 local community programs with um, that income. And then also it goes to the staff. So they've trained would-be poachers um, and people from the community, they've trained them to become guides and protectors of the gorillas. so if you look at our impact as tourists in, in other destinations, it's, I think you need to be a conscientious person or a conscientious tourist when you travel and visit a location yeah. and think about the impact that you make when you go there. I think you're touching on something that's really powerful, which is, you know, where, because tourism is there, is people have a fascination for, you know, what's uh, outside their norm. And yet, if you look to see where the money that you're putting into these kinds of things is going, that can trickle through to such big impact. Like I know when we were in um, Thailand, we really wanted to go and see some elephants. We wanted to see some Asian elephants. And there are, you, you are like bombarded with tours and people walking right up to you trying to sell you these packages of, of these river walks with these elephants and all of this kind of stuff. And when we started looking into it, seeing the difference between, okay, well, how are the elephants housed? Where do they come from? And, you know, how did this whole thing transpire? Where are they when they're not doing the tours and all of this kind of stuff? Uh, it, it could be pretty terrible. Honestly, it could be terrible when you actually look at, because money can influence, especially in some of these countries, it can totally influence the way that the whole economy um is is operating but as well as an entire industry so if people love elephants but they don't want to have to drive far to go into the the jungle to see them okay no problem we'll just take the elephants we'll put them right in the city while elephants are super sensitive to vibrations and they can actually go insane just from having cars driving around them and you know that we don't and and i'm not trying to point fingers or blame people because it's not common knowledge you want to see an elephant and you find it there but as you say if you can become a little bit more of a, a conscious um, traveler, then you maybe find that place that is taking rehabilitated elephants from the logging industry and trying to give them a new home. And you can go there and you can bathe them, but you're in this amazing um, wildlife reserve where they can roam free and all of this kind of stuff. It uh, to me, it was it was night and day to see them in their natural habitat and all that. And I, I think. You know, when we touch on conscious traveling, I think that's a big piece of it is, is just being mindful of, of where your money's going, how you're impacting the community. And I remember talking to you about setting up these, these tours in Rwanda, and I was fascinated at 
how willing their their tourism board was to sit down and meet with you and talk to you and plan these kinds of things out. And I think that's I think that's fantastic when you're actually getting a government that's recognized, okay, this is a big source of our income, but how can we do this in a way that it's going to impact people the right way? Exactly. Yeah. The you know the confidence that we had when visiting Rwanda is one of the reasons we offer it as a place that we bring guests. Um, we were always specialists in the Nordic countries and and uh, typically bringing guests to Lapland and uh, you know doing the winter and summer destinations. So either the midnight sun in the summer where the sun never sets, um, or you know chasing the northern lights in in northern Finland um, or Sweden or uh, Norway. So we we've kind of we became experts of that region and. Uh, making a, a difficult decision to kind of stray away from that during COVID and, and look for alternatives. Um, and and in, a, in an effort to keep our business alive, we had the opportunity to partner with um, Rwanda and, and we visited the country and we did, you know, a, an in-depth um, risk assessment and visited a number of places and met with the tourism board and the on-ground suppliers and, you know, I think that's important if you are going to be someone to bring a group of people somewhere, it's, you know, to be responsible enough to understand the impact that you're going to have when you go. Um, you know, Rwanda did have its troubles in, in the earlier mid nineties, and it's a real success story of, of how, you know, communities come together and support each other and, and decide that you know, we've been through a tough time but we are going to, you know, work together to improve this situation. I think uh, North American can, can learn a, a lot given the circumstances today. Um, one of the nice things I, I think, and it, this is a small thing, but it kind of summarizes the uh, importance of community. In, in Rwanda, when you visit, um, one of the things you'll notice straight away is how clean it is. Like there's no trash, even on the side of the roads, when you're driving out of the city, um, you, you won't see trash anywhere. And it's because they have a community day. So every, uh, the last Sunday of every month, um, everyone stops what they're doing and they all spend time cleaning up um, their communities. And it's this day of, um, focus on community that I think really symbolizes the, you know, the efforts that they make as a, a country and um, as communities to, to come together and say, we respect the place that we live. We want to take care of it. And that small thing kind of echoes uh, everything they're doing internally to try and, and respect the place they live. Yeah. I think that was, uh, that's a, such a huge thing. And, you know, we think about the impact, we've been talking about the impact we have as, as North Americans as we, we travel around or even just Western societies as we travel around. But we also don't understand that we are trendsetters in a lot of um, countries too. There's a lot of countries that think that the way that we're living must mean success. And the amount of places that I went to that were filled with plastic, single-use plastic, garbage, where they didn't have the infrastructure to be able to handle it. And it's, it's amazing. Again, we think about tourism and the way that this kind of can benefit and also hinder. But I remember going to uh, Agra to go see the Taj Mahal when we were in India and you walk down the main strip and it looks quite clean because that's where a lot of the, the tourism is and people are walking back and forth there. But if you just deviate by one street, go one street over, and now you see all the garbage that would be on that main strip is just in a pile. And you have children playing through this pile of garbage. Some of it's on fire. Cows are eating other pieces of it. And and they just don't know what to do with all of this stuff. Because here in Canada and in and many of uh, the Western countries, we have the luxury of space. So we have these these uh, what we would call dumps or tips and these uh, disposal areas of our trash, we could just bury it underground. But when you don't have the room to do that, 
you know, then we're just shipping it off to some other country or something, but so much of it just ends up getting thrown on the ground. And then the rainy seasons come and it just washes it all into the ocean. And, uh, you know, I just want to say, <clears throat> as we're talking about being conscious travelers, just thinking about being conscious humans, because that does impact the world around us. And um, I remember being in Indonesia and it was just at the beginning of the rainy season and I had been there for a month already and I was snorkeling every day. And then I guess one day it was raining inland and I was at the coast and we didn't even see any clouds or anything, but this wave of water came down from one of the mountains and brought with it tons, literally tons of garbage that would just get washed down over the rainy season into the ocean. And I went under one moment on, into clean water and I came back up and I had diapers, I had garbage bags, I had all this stuff floating all around me. And that was a huge eye opener. That's a little bit of a weird twisted way to kind of like start to wrap up this this episode. But I wanted to throw that out talking about travel. Just think about the impact that we have um, on this planet. Totally. I'll, I'll just add that uh, in Rwanda, they have they have also banned single use plastics. So they'll remove them from you um, at the airport when you enter. Um, so there is hope that, you know, some of these countries might in- implement laws like this which do make a you know a drastic difference in the, the quality of uh life everywhere you know like th- this stuff should be yeah and all around <laughs> <laughs> couldn't agree with you more uh now being mindful of the time i want to give people the opportunity to find you to find your website so first of all uh what's your handle on instagram because i think people need to check out some of these photos that you've put up because they're remarkable Yes, thank you. Uh, at Dennis Stever on Instagram, D-E-N-N-I-S-S-T-E-V-E-R. Amazing. And then if we want to find uh, TJD, check it out, see what you're up to, because I know you've been you've been using the pandemic wisely to try to like plan ahead, think of what people are going to want to do when the world opens back up. But uh, how do we find that? Yeah, exactly. So um, our website, www travel with tjd.com um, or you can check out the link in my bio on instagram as well amazing dennis thank you so much for uh being a part of this with me today um hopefully we can travel together one day again we've only been in person like twice but uh i feel a, a great connection with you so hopefully we can make that a thing thank you so much thanks jason i appreciate it have a good one Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Higher Potential Living Podcast. If you would like to learn more about higher potential living and the services we offer, please visit www.higherpotentialliving.com. We offer different online courses, in-person courses, mindfulness and meditation retreats, and we have a variety of different coaches that are there to help you with anything that you might be going through. So please check us out. You can also help support the work we do by subscribing to this podcast anywhere you're listening and of course, sharing it and telling your friends all about it. Thank you so much and have a great day.